In just a couple minutes, I want to re- be reading a few, just a few verses from uh, Matthew chapter 2, uh, and you can either watch on the screen or pull it up on your phone, or uh, if you have a Bible, you can actually turn in, in a real physical Bible there. But, uh, you know, I, I love Christmas time. I was telling someone before church, my favorite time of the season is that magical moment on Christmas Eve. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about? That magical moment when all the stores shut down. <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite part. And you don't feel the urgency to go out and buy something else, all right? You know, we used to love to drive around and look at Christmas lights. How many of you guys still drive around and look at Christmas lights? And uh, we lived, as many of you know, I grew up around the Jeff City area. And we had, uh, and I know some, some people in Jeff, around Jeff City area, we had Candy Cane Lane. We had Christmas Card Lane. And you would go and, and you would see all the beautiful decorations. One of my favorite places to go was we would go to K Street. Now, K Street is probably one of the lower income sections of Jeff City. But on K Street would be the, the K Street Santa Claus. And his name was Ralph Edder and his wife Betty. And they would dress up. And, and Ralph had a big white beard and he was... I don't want to say he's a little bit overweight. And he kind of looked like Santa Claus. And so they would, they would sit on their porch, Ralph and Betty, dressed like Santa and Mrs. Claus, the Santa Claus of K Street. And they would, we would take our car. And, and I, years later, we became good friends of Ralph. And I actually, actually did part of his funeral service. But we would go there. And I remember that they would walk up to the car and they would look and greet our children, and it just meant so much to us. Here's people, some of the poorest people in the whole town, and yet they're reaching out with the love of Jesus to bless and to minister. And I remember on one particular occasion that we were driving around, we were looking at all the Christmas lights, and I noticed one house, and in this house, I did not see a Christmas tree. I did not see another Christmas decoration, but here's what I saw. I saw a five-sided star hung upside down. You know what a five-sided star hung upside down is? That is a devil's pentagram. There's something that wrote... A Satan worshiper. He's got that star hung upside down, and there's no other decoration. That really, that really troubled me. That really disturbed me. And so uh, every time I think about it, just really get underneath my skin that someone would do that. And so we finally went to Debbie's folks' house, and I remember pulling up in their driveway. You never guess what her dad had. He had a five-sided star hung upside down. And I turned to Debbie, and I said, Debbie, your dad is a Satan worshiper. (laughs) And I think I even asked him what the deal was. He said, Bob... He said it was the easiest way to hang it. (laughs) We love you guys today. We're so grateful that you're with us this morning. We met some new friends and and made made some old acquaintances, renewed some old old acquaintances today. But let me share these verses of Scripture with you found in Matthew chapter 2. 
Verse number one says this, and I'm not going to read a lot of these, but I'll read just a, just a couple. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, and they were asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars and rose, and we have come to worship him. You know, I know that we've all, we've all had this situation before where we went on vacation and we forgot something. And so uh, we're, we're trying, it's just like we forgot something. We forgot to do something. We forgot to bring something with us. And it's just like, okay, just relax. We can, we can get it later. We can pick it up later. You've been here before. Uh, we've, all, we've all forgotten stuff. We've all misplaced stuff. I heard about a lady recently. I was reading a story. And this lady was going to get on an airplane with, with a newborn baby. And what she did was she had a newborn baby there in uh, the waiting area of the airport, and then they called her, her, her ticket, and she went up, she went up front and, and uh, began to check herself in and got on the plane. And it wasn't until after the plane took off that she realized that she had left her baby in the waiting area of the airport. And so she frantically called out to the staff, to the stewardess, to come, and they got the attention of the pilot. And believe it or not, they got permission and turned that airplane around and flew back to the airport to get that baby. Listen, we've all been there before where we've lost something or where this feeling in our heart and soul that something must be missing. And, and as individuals, Many times as human beings, we've got a feeling on the inside of us that something is missing. Maybe we're successful. Maybe we've got a great job. We've got plenty of money. But there is a sense that still something, there's some element that is missing from our life. There's, a, there's this feeling on the inside that because something is missing, that we were created for something more. We were created for a higher purpose. There's a greater reason than getting up every single day and knocking ourselves out and then coming, coming back home and falling asleep and then getting up the next day and doing it over and over and over again. Because on the inside of every person, there is something that tells us this. There must be something more to life than just going through the motions. There's got to be more to life than knocking ourselves out and getting weary and getting weak and getting old and then passing away to be completely forgotten in 100 years. There's got to be something more. And there's something on the inside of us that says, I was created for something more than this. Well, Jesus Christ is the reason that we live, and he is our hope for tomorrow. He is our strength. He is our power. He is the answer for all eternity. And today I want to talk to you about a few, for just a few minutes about this idea that wise men still seek him. Because wise men understand this, that we were created for something more. That something, there's an element in our life that's missing. And that void is God. And that void is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wise men and women sense God. They sense the presence of God. When we look into the sky and we see 
millions upon billions of stars. We sense God. In Matthew chapter 2, we have the account of the wise men coming to visit the newborn baby Jesus. And many scholars believe that this encounter happened, uh, that it didn't happen necessarily on the night that Jesus was born. Now I know in our, our Christmas pageants, we've always got the shepherds come in and the wise men come in. Well, I hate to tell you, but this story probably didn't go that way. It, it, this happened sometime after the birth of Jesus, that the wise men occurred. In fact, scholars say it could have happened as much as two years after the birth of, of Jesus. But one thing is, is certain. The wise men had a hunger for God. The wise men had a hunger to see and to meet the newborn king. And they were guided by a star to the promised land. The Bible says from eastern lands. We're not told the number of wise men. They came with three gifts. And so traditionally we just assume there's three wise men. But they came searching for the newborn king. Why? Because wise men and women sense God. Wise men and women sense that there's something else to life than just going through the motions, and these wise men sense God. You see, there's something beyond this life. Wise men and women sense God. Ecclesiastes, I think the answer is found in, or, or one of the answers, or, or part of the answer is found here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Solomon wrote this. He said, yet God has made everything beautiful for his own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to ending. You see, God has planted eternity in your heart. The reason it seems like something's missing without God, without a relationship with Jesus, because God has planted eternity in your heart. And we sense, we're just human beings, but we sense that there's got to be something more because God has planted eternity in our heart. And we're sense, we sense that we were created for something beyond this world. Why? Because wise men and women sense God. They sense God, and they're seeking for God. Now, because of our human limitations and the brevity of life and our limited understanding, we cannot comprehend all that God is doing from the beginning to the ending, we cannot comprehend all that God is up to, but we can feel in our heart and soul that God is in, up to something, and wise men still seek Jesus. And wise men and women sense God. You see, wise men and women recognize that God is always moving. God is always working. Right now, whether you understand it or not, God is working in your life right now. Whether you understand it or not, God is moving in your life. Whether you understand it or not, God loves you. He cares for you so much that on that very Christmas morning, he sent the newborn king, the Messiah, who would eventually give us life upon the cross. Wise men and women recognize that God is always moving and God is always working. These wise men were led by a star. They were led by the signs of the times. Now, you know, I look at the signs of the times right now, and I say, God is up to something. Will you agree with me? By the signs of the times, okay? We've got the new normal, which is nothing like normal. Okay? It's a new normal. And it's like, just get over it, because it's a new normal. No, it's, 
God is doing something in our world. God, God is, God is, you say, is this a product of God? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that God is, is taking all the chaos, God is taking all the confusion, and God is working, God is moving. This is not a time to be full of fear. But rather, this is our greatest opportunity to share our faith. God never makes a mistake. We see the signs of Jesus appearing all around us in our world today. The wise men were led first to Jerusalem. Now, that seems like a strange thing because Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. It seems like a strange thing. But God sent the wise men knowingly to a king that was going to try to kill him. Understand this, God never makes a mistake. God knows exactly what he was doing, and God wanted to announce to the wicked king that his son had come. And his son, he was not afraid of that fact. He was not trying to hide that fact. But God sent the wise men to see and to talk to Herod. You see, God wanted to frustrate the plans of the devil to destroy the baby Jesus. And the devil will never stop trying to stop the mercy and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Herod hated the news. He was troubled by the birth of the new king. The scripture says that the political and religious leaders in Jerusalem were disturbed that the Messiah had been born. I was talking to Debbie on the way up here. A few weeks ago, I told you, there's 456 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And all of them were fulfilled. All 456 of them were filled. So the sign said the Messiah is coming. And when he came, the religious leaders didn't want him from the onset, from the beginning. They said, we want no part of him. King Herod said, we want no part of him. You see, it's hard to imagine that anyone would reject Jesus. It's hard to imagine that anyone would reject a loving, compassionate Savior. But the sad fact is there will always be people, there will always be individuals that will reject Jesus, that will reject the love of God, that will reject the one that could save them. The proud and the arrogant want nothing to do with Jesus. Why? They got their own plans for the future. So here's what Herod did. He calls the the leading priest. He calls the religious teachers. He calls the scholars about the hundreds of prophecies that accurately foretold the coming of the Messiah. And he asked him, where's the Messiah going to be born? And they, they told Herod, he said, well, the prophets wrote that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And so he assured them I, I, in this backroom deal, hey, listen, I'm going to take care of this newborn king. I will eliminate him. But know this, God is always working. God is always moving. Right now in our world, God is always working. God is always moving. God's working right now. Let me assure you that God is working today. God is always drawing the hungry. He's drawing the weary. He's drawing the lost. He's always working to seek and to save the lost. And so finally after Herod found out they'd been born in Bethlehem, listen, God could have sent the star straight to Bethlehem. No, he stopped off to talk to Herod, to tell them the news in Jerusalem. And then Herod called for a private meeting, and he learned when the first, the Bible says he learned when the first star first appeared, 
He called the wise men. He said, go to Bethlehem, search carefully, and then come back and tell me where he is so I might go and worship him. The Holy Spirit still guides wise men and women to Jesus. Whether you realize it or not, you, you, might, you might be here this morning and don't, don't even know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. It is the Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that deals with, deal, deals with us in our heart and says, something is missing. I'm called for, I'm, I'm called, I'm created for a higher reason. I'm called, I'm created for a higher purpose. But the Holy Spirit guides wise men and women to Jesus. And in John chapter 6, verse 24 Jesus said this, for no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. You see, the wise men were guided from Herod's palace. The Bible says the star went ahead of them. The star led the wise men to Bethlehem, and then the star stopped right over the place where the child was, and they were filled with joy, and they bowed down, and they worshiped the new king. Wise men and women still worship the king. Wise men and women still bow before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Wise men and women know that only Jesus can fill that God-sized hole in our heart. Wise men and women still seek him. Wise men and women still fall before him. Wise men and women still worship Jesus. Now, Christmas is a time of giving. And I know that, you, that we've given, and, and I know that we've, we've I've, I've already told you, we've, we've hopefully most of our Christmas shopping's done, and, and we're totally finished. It's all over with. I read that, and I have a hard time believing this number, but I read, because I'm kind of a math guy, all right? And I read that $900 billion will be spent on Christmas this year. 900, I don't, that cannot be just in America. That's got to be throughout the world. Because I, I ran the numbers on it. And if the, numbers are, if the numbers are right, that means that every person is spending $2,700 on Christmas. I don't know, I don't know if I can buy that. Maybe we're all getting a new car or something. I don't know. <laughs> for Christmas this year. I don't know. But, but whatever you know the amount is exorbitant because Christmas is a time of giving gifts. But the first gift was given by God. The first gift was when the Father gave his Son to a lost and a dying world. Jesus is the greatest gift of all. And these wise men came and they recognized that Jesus was the greatest gift. He was the greatest gift and they bowed before him. He was the greatest gift when he gave his life upon the cross. And wise men still worship Jesus. Wise men recognize that God has given his best to the world. In a display of gratitude, the wise men opened up their treasure chest and they gave Jesus their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they held nothing back. They gave them, they gave God the best that they had because God had given them the best God had given mankind the best. They gave God the best. Every treasure is unique. And I don't know what treasure you've got to give to God, or whether it's your time, it's your talent, 
It's some resource. I don't know. But every, every treasure is unique. The treasure that you've got to give to God is unique. And I want to encourage you because God has given the best gift that we give our time and talents and treasures to the Lord also because he has given so much to us. You see, wise men still seek Jesus. Wise men and women still sense God. They recognize that God is always working. They recognize that God is always moving. And the Holy Spirit is guiding wise men and women to Jesus. And those wise men come and they worship Jesus. I'm going to conclude with this story today. And uh, I had the feeling that I was going to have to take his coat off. Because you guys know I don't ever wear coats. I don't ever wear suits and things except during a funeral or a wedding or something. But uh, there was a fella, and he was actually probably one of the uh, greatest intellectual minds of the 20th century. He was uh, educated at Oxford in England. In fact, he eventually became a professor at Oxford. He was also a professor at Cambridge University. And his name was C.S. Lewis. He was a great writer. He was born in Belfast, Ireland, into a loving, perfect home. Everything was just right in his home. He said his, his home was full of books. His home was full of happiness. His home was full of laughter. And him and his brother were constantly playing games and just having a great time. His perfect life ended at age nine when his mother died of cancer. That, that would be a sobering fact. Your mother dies of cancer at age nine. He said, in spite of my prayers, in spite of my boyhood faith, he said, I called out to God to heal my mother, and God did not heal my mother. He said, I begin to question how that God let my mother die in spite of my prayers. In fact, he began to look and examine his own prayers, and he thought, maybe my prayer is not good enough to satisfy the Lord. You ever felt that way before? My prayer's not good enough. If I prayed a little harder, if I prayed with a little more intensity, then maybe my prayer wouldn't have, would, have, would have been answered. Well, C.S. Lewis got to that point. And uh, he questioned God. He questioned the love of God. He questioned why there was so much pain and suffering in the world. He was troubled by evil that he saw in the world. And all those things, the pain, the suffering, and the evil did not fit with what he thought what God was because the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. And so here's what he did. At 15 years old, he abandoned his faith in God. He stopped believing in Jesus Christ. Became an atheist. At the age of 17 years old, let me read what C.S. Lewis wrote. wrote. He said, I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. He would become a devout atheist. In fact, he prescribed to Sigmund Freud's idea that the universe was just a physical place. He rejected this idea of God. In fact, he began to believe that, that, like Sigmund Freud, that God and religion was just a psychological projection that had been 
created by man to control and manipulate people. And yet, because of this idea and his sense of reason and logic, he began to wonder about where good and evil came from. He said it must have some origin. Because a strictly physical universe has no basis for any moral law. If all we are, if, if, if all this happened because of a gigantic explosion, and if all we are is just a biological accident, there is no explanation for love. There is no explanation for compassion. There is oh, no explanation for what we feel on the inside that we were created for something more. And he began to reason that in a physical universe, there is only what is and no more. In a physical universe, there's only brute forces. But he began to search, and he's, he was a, a professor of philosophy at Oxford University. And he decided this, he said, I'm gonna prove that in a physical universe, that somehow or another, good and evil, right and wrong can evolve. But he failed. He failed. He could not find a way that good and evil, right and wrong, could be created merely in a physical universe. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said, at that point, I was still 100 miles away from the God of Christianity. And yet he continued to search for this basis of good and evil. He concluded that a mind-spirit must exist. It must explain a moral law written in a person's heart. You know there's a law written in, this, in our heart? Even, even if we don't know God, there's a law written in our heart when we do right and when we do wrong. Okay? There's a law. God said he wrote his word in our heart. The Holy Spirit deals with us. And C.S. Lewis said we... He, he was toying with this idea. How, how can we be living in a strictly physical world and yet on the inside, I feel there's something else. I feel that there's something more. You know why? Because even though C.S. Lewis was an atheist, God planted eternity in his heart. God has planted eternity in your heart. And he began to look. And he began to search. He searched the religions of the world. He specifically wanted to find one that was better than Christianity. He began to search pantheism, which is the existence of many gods. But he found that that was a fallacy. He moved to dualism, the idea there's two gods, one evil, one good. Both equal in power, but opposite in nature. But there was a problem with that. Because who decided what was good and who decided what was evil? Because good could call evil and evil could call good. He began to look. He began to study the words of Jesus Christ. And Jesus did not leave an option open that he was merely a good teacher. Because remember what Jesus said? Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, truth and the life. Jesus said this, no man comes to the Father except through me. C.S. Lewis, this brilliant intellectual mind, he said this, Jesus is either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's God. And he began to see that God not only existed, but he was a personal, loving God. In fact, he said this, he said, the God of the Bible offers a greater explanation 
for pain and suffering, good and evil, than a physical universe. And little by little, slowly, he was won over to Jesus Christ. His journey took many years. He was influenced by his friendships with other Christians. Even though he was an atheist, he was influenced by other Christians like J.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings. He was influenced. There are those of us, we talk to people, we meet people that tell us they're atheists. Don't argue with them. Don't argue with them. Love them. Be compassionate toward them. Be kind toward them. Be loving toward them. Because you know what? God has written eternity on their heart. And the Holy Spirit is dealing. And the Holy Spirit is drawing. And we got to let God deal with people. We got to let God draw people. We got to allow the Holy Spirit to draw individuals. You see, C.S. Lewis found that a personal relationship with God was all that mattered. His journey to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, took decades. But he made a decision to accept a real relationship with Jesus Christ. That baby born on that first Christmas morning, that one who would live a perfect life and then give himself on the cross and then be resurrected on the third day. Let me remind you this. At age 17, C.S. Lewis wrote this. I believe in no religion. There's absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. At age 32, here's what C.S. Lewis wrote after his journey of faith. He said, Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call real things, namely the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a feeling on the inside of every one of us that there's more. There's a feeling on the inside of us that something's missing. There's got to be something more than getting up every single day. There's got to be something more than competing to get the biggest and the best toys. There's got to be something more than trying to accumulate masses of wealth. There's got to be something more. You know why? Because God has planted eternity in your heart. And there's a longing to know God. There's a longing to know God on the inside of every one of us. Jesus is the reason that we live. Jesus Christ is our hope for tomorrow. He is my strength. He is my purpose. He's the answer for all eternity. And wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek him. Let's stand today. Let's stand this morning. If you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, would you pray this prayer with us this morning? Pray this prayer and accept Christ as your Savior today. Believe it in your heart and you'll be saved. The Bible says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so let's, let's pray this prayer in unison this morning. You say, I'm already a believer. Pray it, pray it anyway. Maybe your neighbor needs to. Your neighbor will be encouraged to pray as we pray this prayer together and believe it in your heart. Dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died upon the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose on the third day. The victor over death and hell. 
Today, I commit my life to you. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and the Savior. I declare and give my life to you. Thank you for saving my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Come on, somebody praise him today. Somebody praise